hear God's word. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in, that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above all reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So our focus, our text this afternoon is verse 17. You know the last part, verse 17. We read here, and in him all things consist. Or you can say, in him all things hold together. What a marvelous promise there, eh? and, and truth. In him all things hold together. Beloved congregation in Christ, you know Jesus. He's the one who calms the waves and stills the sea, and they obey him. That's Christ. He's the one who says to the paralytic, the man who was paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. And what does he say? Arise, take up your bed, and go home. And everyone marvels. Who is this Christ? who is able to do all these things. What we're going to see is that this Christ has the power, has the authority over all creation. And he has the authority also to redeem, to save lives. He has the power to do that. This is such wonderful news because we see these sad, sad effects of sin in our lives. Sin brings ruin, it brings unhappiness, it brings death, it brings misery. But Jesus turns that all around. He turns it upside down, you could say. For those who trust in him, what does he do? He brings blessing. He brings life. In him is life. That's what we see here in Colossians chapter 1 through 14. You know, what you see in the Gospels of Christ, what you see in the Gospels, you also see here in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. What did God do through his son? If you look at verses 13 and 14, he has delivered us. Wow, talk about a deliverance ministry. 
He has delivered us from the powers of darkness. Who are the powers of darkness? Satan, demons, evil powers, all the hard things. He's delivered us, all, all those evil powers. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. And what has he done? He's conveyed, or you could say he's, he's uh, transferred us into the kingdom of his son in love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, night and day, darkness and light, death and life. This is, makes all the difference in the world. Deliverance. Christ paid the price for sin. And he comes to set his people free. Freedom, real freedom, true freedom. He did so through his blood. Who is he? That's the question that people often ask. Who is this Christ? Is he just a man? Is he just a superman? Who is he? And so what you see in God, you see in Colossians 1, 15, 23, is really God's word to us, to the church. And what we, we need to hear is, is the incomparable greatness of Christ. What do you mean by incomparable? There's no one that compares to Christ. You, you cannot compare him. He's unique. He's unsurpassed in his greatness. He is powerful. And what we're going to see and what we hope is that by the end of the, the message this morning, that we may be further encouraged of our the strength, you could say, of our assurance and comfort that no matter what we go through in life, whether this time or that time or in the future, no matter what we go through in life, we have this foundation. We have Christ. And second of all, our goal is also that through this word, your faith may be strengthened. You may have the courage to stand firm. And you know, it may anxieties, worries, and fears just flee from you. Of course, that's a lifetime, a lifetime battle. But that's that's the goal of the sermon. But we have to know something of the foundation. We have to know something about who Jesus is, the Christ. Because when we come to know who he is, then we know, wow, this is the one we can really trust. And so what we plan to do this morning is just open up verse 17. And in him, all things consist. Or in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. What does that include, all things? Includes all creation. You see that in verses 15, 16, and 17. All creation holds together in him. But also your redemption, your salvation in Christ holds together in him. Let's look at the first three verses, 15, 16, 17. Who is this, who is this Christ who holds all things together, holds all creation together? And if you look at verse 15, it says some very unique words, maybe strange to some. It says here, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What's that mean? He's the image He's the image of the invisible God. You know, sometimes we say to a parent, wow, your daughter looks just like you. Not only just like, looks like you, but even acts like you. 
And someone might say, yeah, and I can really come to know her mom or dad through her. So yeah, you know, the, the seeing, the, the likeness, but also the knowing, right? You come to know even mom or dad through the child. That's what we mean by image, right? She's the image, you could say a true likeness of her mom, or he's the true likeness of his dad. And even so, here the son of God in the flesh, okay, in his incarnation, what did he do? He made God visible to us. If we want to see God, see Christ. You think of those words in Hebrews 2 or Hebrews chapter 1. It talks about how Christ, how the Son is the brightness of God's glory and the exact image of his person. Why did he take on flesh? Why did Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, why did he become visible? Well, for this very reason, to save us from our sins so that the paralytic, he could say to the paralytic, kick up your mat, arise, go home. Or to that little girl, the 12-year-old girl who died, where Jesus says, arise. Little girl, I say, arise. He came to save us from our, sin, from our sins and to restore that relationship with God that was broken through sin and our disobedience. There is no other who can do that except for Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one. He's the only one without sin who can take the care of the problem of sin and bring us back to God. The Bible says it this way. Right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father, he has made him known. You want to know God? There's only one way we can know God, and that's through Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. If we want to know him, we want to know God and his fullness of his love and the fullness of his glory and power and justice and might. We come to know him through putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other incarnation. There is no other in the world ever from the beginning or to the end of time. You can say will be an incarnation of God. He's the only God who has come in the flesh or Lord Jesus Christ. Talks about him being the firstborn over all creation, the one who's the image, right? The one who became man. That was in history, that was in time, but he even existed before that. It says here, the firstborn over all creation. This does not mean that he was created. We have to be really careful here. I know Jehovah's will use this phrase to say that, okay, Jesus at one point was created. No, what it means, what does it mean here? It means he always was. It means that he is prior to, he's distinct from, he's above every creature. If you look at verse 17, he is before all things. Firstborn means he's the only begotten of the Father from all eternity. He's the begotten Son. But there was never a time he began. He always was, always the eternally begotten Son of the Father. Okay, distinct from all creation. He's before all things. Um, 
you know, the wind and the sea that, that obeys him. This one, that one, I mean, this one, Christ, is the source. He's the origin of all creation. <laughs> that's, that's who he is, the origin of all creation. It's so clear in verse 16. If you look at verse 16, for by him all things were created. That means by Christ, the Son. All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. That's why the wind and the seas obey him. He's more than just a superhuman or superman. He's the one by whom all things were created. In him, through him, for him. Christ alone. And this is the this is the point of application here. Christ alone is the frame of reference, or you could say the starting point, or the yeah, the frame of reference for all creation. Think of it this way. I think it was C.S. Lewis who says, By the sun in the sky, you see all things. But by the Son, the Son of God, through faith in Him, we see reality for what it really is. He's the frame of reference. He's the starting point. By Him, we know and see reality for what it is. Everything in this creation serves His purpose, serves His goal, whether visible things or invisible things, whether that's be be good angels or bad angels, demons, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. And you know, and this is the very thing that modern man does not want to hear. Modern man does not want to hear this. Think of our universities. They mock it. Think of our other institutions, not only our universities, but even the state. Right? Universities belong to the created order. The state belongs to the created order. All these institutions belong to the created order. And yet man, yes, man is created as well. But in our sin, in our rebellion, man wants to become the point of reference. He wants to become the frame of reference. Man wants, as, as humanism says, man wants to become the measure of all things. He, the creature, wants to replace Christ. Isn't that the age-old problem of sin in the garden? Right? Man sinned because he wanted to become like God. The devil tempted him. Still today, man wants to replace Christ. Man wants to be God of his own destiny. He wants to be in control. And you see the fallout. You see the misery from man's rebellion. You see the fallout from Christ, the rejection of Christ, the Christ who is their point of reference over all creation. Man tries to take the place of Christ, and things don't work out very well, do they? Things aren't working well at all when we try to replace Christ. Man can't still the wind. He can't storm. He can't settle the the storm of anxieties in the world. He can't still the waves of the sea very well. What do you see instead? Chaos. Chaos results. Wars. Mass shootings. 
more than ever. The more you remove yourself from Christ, the more problems become. Anguish, pain, death. Today we have an epidemic with every moral evil possible, it seems. There's an impulse, isn't there? To remove every trace of Christ from the culture. As if the culture says, we don't want to hear about this. It's the truth. We want to bury it. We want to hide him. And you see the sad results. Does that mean, therefore, that Christ is no longer in control? Does that mean he's lost his position, his authority? Does that mean that all things no longer consist in him, that he no longer holds all things together? Man tries to stage a coup against Christ, but he cannot remove Christ from the throne. Verse 17 says it this way. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things continue to hold together. And you say, is this really the case? Because you look at the world around us, you say, everything looks so haphazard and random and accidents galore. Well, think about it. All creation was created through Christ. Was through the power of, of God's word. He's the word. By him, all things were created. It doesn't stop there. The Bible says he continues to uphold. He continues to, hold, continues to uphold all things by the power of his word. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Upholding all things by the word of his power. He's speaking of his son. God is speaking of his son. The Christ. If he were to let go of the world for one moment, there would be nothing left. Everything would fly off the earth and earth would be, would, would become extinct. It would become, it would become, uh, it would go into oblivion. Yes, sin and rebellion bring chaos and ruin, but Christ has not lost control. In him, all things hold together. Well, what do you mean? You're saying maybe some things hold together, not all things. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says all things hold together in him. Evil too? Yes, even evil. Even wickedness. Even man's rebellion. What does, God, what does Christ do? He uses it. He employs it in his service. He's not responsible for it. Men are responsible for it. But Christ will make sure that whatever happens on earth that's wicked and evil, it will be used for his good purposes always for the sake of his church and for the interest of his people. Every detail, every little detail, he continues to hold all things together without making a single mistake. Oh, powers and principalities, they're, they're firmly in his hand. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things, what's all things? Including evil, evil things, Work together. It's not haphazard. It's not chance. It's not accident. But work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, as God's people, you can take great, great encouragement of that. You place your faith in him. That's the safest place to be in the world, in him. Whatever happens, at whatever time, you're always safe in him. The stormy winds, the waves obey him. In him, all things hold together. 
And not only creation, but it's in the arena of creation that Christ is also doing his work of salvation, his work of redemption. And that's what we see in verses 18 to 20. All things also includes your redemption. You know the one who is from all eternity by whom all things were created, the very image of God, the one who became visible, he's the one who died for our sins, took our place, arose again from the dead, gaining the victory over sin, over demons, over Satan, over hell, and over all evil. And what happens? It doesn't leave it there, but in him, a new creation comes. Who is he? Who is he, the one who is the the firstborn of all creation, the image of the invisible God? Who else is he? No, he's the head of the body. Think of your head of the body, right? Your head is, you could say, the life source is the ruling source of your whole body. Well, who's the body in this case? It's the church. It's the body of Christ, which he is the head. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. He's the beginning. And he's the firstborn from the dead. Yeah, the one who's the firstborn over all creation is also the firstborn of the dead. For what purpose? Then all things he may have the preeminence. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the source, the life of the new creation. That's the new creation. The church, you could say, is the new creation of God, of Christ in the world. It receives the resurrection life, the life of his resurrection, passing from death to life, from darkness to light. And by the working of his spirit, through faith in him, what do we see? We see he's the one who truly forgives sin. And with forgiveness comes what? Order, beauty, peace, joy, true freedom, coming out of chaos, rebellion, infighting, all those things that belong to the old creation, by the power of his resurrection, the one who made the invisible God visible, by him, all things become new. You know, the Bible says that he defeated the powers of darkness. Where? On the cross, by giving his life. That isn't love. What is love? That is love. By giving his love. That's how he brings about the beauty. He conquered those powers, those evil powers. Like what Colossians 2 verse 15 says. He delivered, he disarmed the principalities and powers, making a public spectacle of them. Demons, powers, darkness. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. The head, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You know, the firstborn from the dead, what does that mean? He's the first one to rise from the dead, to never die again. And in him, we also rise from the dead. Though we die, we will yet rise again. True bodies. Complete bodies. Yes, that all things, he did all this, that he may have the preeminence. Preeminence means that he has all sovereign authority. All things are under him. But what a beautiful thing when he, by his grace, enables us to bow our head 
to him. Because when we bow our head to him, that's a sign of submission to the king, the savior. And with it comes all the blessings of life and salvation. He earned that. We can come to him freely, giving to him all our sins. He conquered them. And in this place, he gives us life. Arise, take your bed and go to your house. Little girl, I say, arise. This one holds the keys of death and Hades. He has authority over life and death. He defeated death on the one hand. And on the other hand, the Bible says he brought life and mortality to light through the gospel. This was the Father's good pleasure from all eternity. Look at verse 17. It pleased the Father. It pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. You know what? Having this preeminence, this is good news. Why? Because in him is all the fullness. The fullness we look for in this life that we can never get from this world, it's in him. He's the life. Fullness. You think of fullness, you think of a cup that's too overflowing. Endless, infinite resources. His fullness is the source of grace and glory for all who repent and who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the source of blessing, of life. I like what John says in John chapter 1. For out of his fullness, what do we receive? We have received grace upon grace. <laughs> it's just grace upon grace. doesn't mean we don't have hard times, but we receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. This is Christ. As a sovereign one, what is he doing? He's not twiddling his thumbs. He's ascended. He's risen. He's seated in the heavens, the right hand of God. But he's directing every detail. He's directing all things according to their intended purpose. And he's bringing all things to their goal, to their intended end, to their appointed goal. And he's doing it all for the sake of his church, for the interest of his church. Look at verse 18. And by him to reconcile all things to him, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Wow. All things were created through him. All things are reconciled to him. Now, this does not mean that everyone will be saved. This does not mean that everyone will be reconciled to God through him. Those who don't repent those who don't bow the head to Christ and receive his goodness and the fullness of his goodness, those who don't do that will be forced. That's the kind of king he is. will be forced to recognize. Though they are not willing, God will force them and they will bow down and come to acknowledge that he's Lord and King. But they never gave him glory. And they will perish. The Bible says, those who do not believe in him will perish everlastingly. His redeemed people, however, who repent and trust in Christ, yeah, they will inherit, not only not part of the new creation, but they will inherit the fullness of the new creation. You could say the new creation, which is the church today, is going to expand to include all things and all things. And to when all things are reconciled to him, you can say there's no more rebellion, no more struggle, no more disease, no more sickness, no more loneliness, no more sadness, no more weeping, no more crying. 
No more depression. In him, all things. Isn't that great news? The incomparable Christ. You can't compare him to any person. He is unique. He's a son of God. Conclusion. You are privileged. If by the grace of God you know Christ, you have, you're privileged. You have everything. Though you might not have nothing in this life, right? In terms of material things, you have everything in Christ. And he becomes very personal at this point. In verses 19, sorry, verses 21, 22, 23. Because now Paul says, you, having laid the foundation, he says, that miracle that happened to the paralyzed man, that miracle that happened to the little girl, that miracle that happened to the, to the seas and the waves, that happened to you in Christ. Look at verse 21, 22, 23. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, yet now he has reconciled to the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith. You once who were enemies, now reconciled, so that he presents you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Two points of application. First thing is, he talks about continuing in the faith. So yeah, it's really a call to faith here as well. A call to faith to trust in this one. The one who has all creation in his hands. The one in whom you find your redemption. The call is to trust him. You know, I think a lot of us struggle, probably all of us struggle, with worry, with anxiety, with fear. And you think about it, those things, worry, fear, and anxiety, those are our ways to try to attempt to control our lives, isn't it? It's ways that we try to control the future. It's the way that we try to control tomorrow. It doesn't work very well, does it? <laughs> we always have to be reminded that, thank God for his grace. But we always have to be reminded those things never work very well when we try to control life ourselves. Our plans would make it worse if, if, uh, if Christ allowed us to just go the way of us just following our own will and wanting to have to control ourselves. But his plans, even when you don't see it, his plans in your life always turns out to be a beautiful, a part of a beautiful masterpiece, a beautiful tapestry. In him, all things hold together. Arise, take up your bed, Move forward. He gives the strength and the grace. In him, all things hold together. Your life, your marriage, your family, your work, our congregation. By trusting in him, there we see Christ working by his spirit to bring order and beauty and peace and harmony. Yes, yeah, always that renewing call to trust in him again and again. Not to move away from this hope as Verse 23 says, but to continue to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. That's the one application. The second is, you know, this helps us to, you could put, put it this way. This helps us to expand our horizons. 
You know, when we become big, who becomes small? Christ. We tend to put them in our pocket. And you know what? And when we become big and Christ becomes small, we miss out on real life. Life is not found in ourselves. Life is only found in Christ. You know, the tendency is to focus, or put it this way, Christ's kingdom is so much greater than any one of us here. Of course, we like to see God working in our own personal lives, but he's working out every detail of all creation for the sake of the church. Even as he's working in my life, he's working in the lives of all the others here at the same time. So it's not just my life or your life, but what's it about? It's not about me. It's about Christ. That's what we mean by expanding the horizons. We focus on Christ and his kingdom. And when Christ becomes center, when Christ is all in all, that's where we find the, the fullness of that life. How often do we say, not me, but Christ? It's not me, but Christ. It's him who holds all things together. Maybe we could compare our world to a weaving. Maybe you've seen a weaving before. Ever look at the back of a weaving, and what do you see at the back of it? You see all kinds of strands and knots, and you think, what, what is it? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't form any kind of picture. That's what it looks like sometimes in our world. Right? But you turn to the front side, what do you see? You see a beautiful masterpiece, a beautiful tapestry. And that's what Christ is doing. He's weaving all things in this world for the sake of his church and the interest of his church to make a beautiful, he's making a beautiful tapestry for the good of those who love him. In him all things work together. Hebrews 2 says, we do not yet see all things under Christ, but we see Jesus. With what? Crowned with glory and honor. We see him by faith. Be encouraged. Worst days are not coming. By faith in Christ, we see something else. Better days are coming. The best day is yet to come. His kingdom is coming. Or his, sorry, his kingdom has come. And his kingdom is coming. It's coming for sure in all its fullness and glory and beauty. Let's, let's, let's pray for the hastening of that day. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And then we will experience the, the fullness of the beauty of who Christ is. Amen.